0: Hi, welcome to Forbes India's The Startup Fridays podcast. I'm Hari Arkley, Tech Editor at Forbes India. And in these podcasts, we'll bring you conversations with entrepreneurs who are finding opportunities in solving a variety of problems in multiple areas, from agriculture and satellite imagery to digital finance and cryptocurrencies. We will also talk to investors from venture capital companies and other folks who are playing a significant role in India's maturing startup scene. You can find a new episode every Friday evening. You can also find us live on Instagram every Friday morning. Stay safe and happy listening. Today's guest uh, is uh, very special in many ways. Uh, Samir Bodas is uh, our guest today. is an exceptional technologist with uh, over three decades in the industry. Uh, he took his venture in the specialized field of uh, contract lifecycle management from India to the U.S., And he turned it into a corporation uh, that was recently valued at uh, $2.8 billion. And in the process, he's also successfully straddled uh, uh, the entrepreneurial excitement and drive with the demands of uh, corporate leadership. So, without further ado, uh, Samir, fantastic to have you here this morning with us, sir. Uh, Welcome to the show. Thank
1: you very much. Uh, Great to be here. Thank you for inviting me.
0: Excellent. So, just to get started, Tell us a bit about uh, the story behind uh, ICertis. How did you and uh, Monish uh, meet? What was the idea that got you, that eventually became I um, Actually our, our story, the iSeltis story is very atypical, I must say, uh, because usually
1: uh, you know, most of the stories are in a dorm room or some Eureka moment, or know, save the world kind of moment. Uh, but, but Monish and I, how did I start this, much later in our lives, um, and, and we knew, knew each other for a while. Uh, when I was in Aztec Sob, uh, he was a customer of mine, and each other's friends, even before that. Uh, but the transition came when he sold his company that he was at, uh, called logic in 2008, uh, to come to BMC. Uh, and I uh, was at the company called Aztec Sob, and then we sold that company to Mindtree. In 2008, and in 2009, both of us uh, exited after integration. And, and, and really, we didn't know what, what to do next because once you've been doing startups, and Monish has done, I think, 15 or 16 startups, uh, this was my phone you know, that I was exiting. You're recently reasonably unemployed uh, by large companies. Large companies sort of watch you because they're so excited about you being an entrepreneur. Uh, but they put you a leash on you because they don't want you to do crazy things. They're entrepreneur do crazy things. So so we didn't know what to do next, and, and it's a sort of a longer story, but the short of it is we, we founded iService, Monique and I, because we couldn't stay at home. Uh, we had to go to work, and we, we said, okay, we can't get a job anywhere, so let's form a company and see what we can do with it. and literally it started. No idea. Just wanted a job, so we created a job for ourselves and tried to do some consulting. <clears throat> um, we did have certain concepts actually as uh, to what it takes to build a large, successful software company. Uh, some some hypotheses, <clears throat> and you know, as soon as we find it, I found it isolated, we started on the journey to look for that product, look to see if we can build something substantial, sure. and. Um, the, the, the biggest hypothesis we have is to build a large successful software company, you to either create a technology wave or write a technology wave. Uh, and, and to create a technology wave is hard, it's for different human beings like Gates and Jobs and Zuckerberg and Musk, etc. And you quickly really realize you can't create any technology wave, you ride write a technology wave. Uh, and, and so we said, okay, we'll write a technology wave and luckily, you know, at that time since I uh, lived in Seattle and it's about 2010 2011 both Amazon and Microsoft were investing uh, in a technology wave that eventually got known as cloud and and to some extent it's serendipitous that we got on the cloud wave uh, because usually these technology waves come in the Bay area and not in Seattle or, or somewhere else and it just so happened cloud sort of started here in Seattle so we jumped on that wave okay. Now what do we do? Um, and, and we said we, we think you know we we want to be in the enterprise space, and we want to be in the cloud. Uh, and and the whole idea came to us really serendipitously through a friend of mine uh, who was sort of at Microsoft, uh, and Microsoft was looking for a sort of cloud solution for contract management. I'll explain what contract management is, uh, and and. So we explored it further and they said, hey, you know, we can't find a cloud solution for contact management. Uh, here is an RFP, why don't you build this software, if we like it, we will license it, we'll have a customer, uh, but the only requirement is you should be in the Microsoft cloud, which was, wasn't even called Azure, I think it was called Red Dog. Uh, and that's how we started, getting friends, getting together because there's nothing better to do, found a company, get on a way. Find contract management and land the first customer
0: Microsoft. Yeah, so contract management feels like it's a very specialized field, and today uh, pretty much all of it's or much of it's done on the cloud. Uh, explain to us, sort of layman's terms, why it is critical.
1: Yeah, so so think about it. Right? Every dollar into the company, any company, and every dollar out of the company is governed by a contract. Mm. Right. So the contract is really the foundation of all commerce. Whether you're selling something, whether you're buying something, you contract with your employees, employment contract, contract with your partners, non-disclosure agreements, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So contracts are the foundation, and historically, uh, contracts have been in the purview of legal. And and business people said, okay, now we have struck a deal. Legal people have your conversation, do the contract. Come back to us and tell us, you know, what the final contract is, and then the business people go do their thing, and the contract is put away in a filing cabinet until there is trouble, I guess. Um, and in layman's terms, contract management is the technology that helps business people as well as legal people uh, create contracts, negotiate contracts, execute and store the contract, and perhaps most importantly in real time make sure that whatever is uh, memorialized whatever is enshrined in the contract that actually happens in the real world did i get the discounts i'm supposed to get from my suppliers did my customers pay me in time did i get the quality that that i was expecting etc et you know everything that the contract we legal terms liability indemnity etc contract management helps you manage all of that from the conceptualization, the memorializing of the contract, all the way till in such pretty vast uh, and, and substantial period of time that this technology can be just on one relationship. Mm. Uh,
0: give us a sense of uh, the kind of more advanced technologies that you've built into your products and solutions at Icertis. I mean, especially in the context of uh, trends like uh, AI and machine learning now becoming more mainstream. So, uh, so there are
1: several technologies that sort of enable contract management to take off. First, first and foremost, the most important technology is cloud and SaaS. And the reason is, with cloud and software as a service, which is SaaS, you could now deliver software around the world uh, for large companies without really investing that much uh, in infrastructure. Because cloud is all. Uh, marginal constraints you buy uh, buy the cloud as you as you go service so one the second important technology is natural language processing or NLP because contracts are all written and if you want to give any insights or if you want to figure out where the discount table is or payment terms are you have to read the contract the machine has to read the contract that means it has to understand natural language English like, you know, Japanese or French or Greek or what have you so that's the second technology which is very important. Uh, very, uh, uh, the third is, as you mentioned, AI and uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning, where once you know what English is in the contract, the natural language, then the machine actually learns as to what is the meaning of these numbers, and the way it learns is by looking at more and more contracts, and that's called machine learning, and AI sits on top make sense of what you have learned. If you have learned that this is the table, then the pricing table, and there is another pricing table, some vendors with some other contract, AI is able to figure out if the two pricing tables are similar and the two can be um, uh, applied across industries or across customers. So AI applies this learning knowledge and makes it uh, makes interpretive decisions on it. And finally, the technology that we use a lot is blockchain. Uh, And blockchain usually is thought uh, of in, you know, uh, Bitcoin and and, uh, things like that, but really blockchain is actually used in contract management to essentially make sure that any contract that's executed is, uh, is, is put in the blockchain and essentially cannot be changed. So two parties can say, okay, we'll execute the blockchain, the contract, and then any party can go look at that contract and they know it is the real deal many of our customers come to us is that say that hey our challenge is you know the technology is fine i just don't know if i'm looking at the latest contract uh, in fact they start with i can't find the contract which is which is you know is surprising but a lot of companies uh, being vast I and mean, they do hundreds of thousands of contracts uh, over the duration of a year or two it's, it's these technologies that help you put these contracts together Read what's in the contract, understand what it is, make decisions, and then make sure you can execute them and, and use them uh, across the world uh, very easily and
0: intuitively for the user. I'm going to switch gears a little bit because there's also a lot of interest in your entrepreneurial journey and lessons from that. Do you recall uh, how long it took you uh, for your first million dollars of revenue and then for the first oh 10 God. million? And then the first hundred meters. Yeah.
1: yeah, it was a circuitous journey. So, so let's see. We we uh, Microsoft. We had got Microsoft as a customer in 2011, 2012. uh We founded Icertis in 2009. So it took us about a couple of years to get our first customer and lock in on contract management or something like that. And between 2012 and 2015, it was actually strong. Uh, it was struggle to build out the product further, it was struggle to find the customers and do the product market fit. You know, the, the zero to one million dollar on uh, annual recurring revenue is perhaps the most difficult, one of the most difficult journeys because you're finding a product market. Fit. You might get one customer, some friend, somebody who needs it, somebody who's really on the edge of things. But that's a very hard journey and it took us We didn't get to our first million dollar VRR until 2014. Mm. So we knew we had a product market. Uh, The second is, as you mentioned, between 1 million and 10 million. The second journey, a little bit easier, but essentially, that you're trying to figure out is can you actually do a repeatable sale? And more successful companies do, do that very quickly. It's usually triple, triple. In two years, you grow your revenue 9x. So we, between 2014-2015 2014-2015 we got our uh, first million and by 2017 we were at 10. And then 10 to 100 journey is where you're scaling things out. Your product market see the other marketing works, now can you deliver to lots of customers uh, around the world, which is the 10 to 100 million dollar scale out journey. Uh, and we, we got there in three years, so 2017 to 2020, early part of, mid part of last year when we got to 100 million. So
0: between 2014 and 2020, we went from one to 100 million dollars. And a couple of years back, uh, you were valued at uh, the first billion dollar valuation. um, And then more recently, you've been valued at 2.8 billion dollars, not too far from three billion. So how do you put these milestones into perspective for yourself as an entrepreneur? Yes, these are definitely exciting milestones. Um,
1: uh, To become a unicorn, uh, it's actually very special as your, as your audience. I know unicorn is defined as any uh, startup that is funded by venture capital. That means so they have a sort of pricing that is established by the party um, that has a valuation of a billion dollars more. When we became a billion dollar company, uh, billion dollar unicorn, uh, we were I think there about 350 or 400 unicorns in the world. All over the world. I think they are in India. I believe at that time they were ten or twelve. Now there are about 600-ish unicorns in the world, and India probably has thirty or forty unicorns. So we are probably very early in the India's sort of unicorn boom, um, and it's, it's it's tremendously fulfilling. I must say, start something, have no idea, have an idea, build the product, build the the whole journey, uh, and get that. Get to that milestone, and you very quickly realize that it's just a milestone. <laughs> and the journey is just from the beginning. Yeah. And, you know, and you put your head down, it, enjoy it, keep your head down. Uh, and, and really, you know, the most important thing is keep delivering value to customers, keep innovating, keep building. You know, the right team and get talent. And it's it's how do you keep that growth rate going? The what, what what investors value uh, and we create the most value is growth uh, and and then of course growth will be cross budget i we'll get into that uh, but but these milestones 2.8 million whatever happens in the future are milestone to defend definitely, definitely savor but you quickly realize all right happy birthday now it's the next day now what keep at it keep going keep growing keep innovating keep the thing. and that's what that's the way really to we are thought about it.
0: yeah so you you've uh, done the relatively rare thing of successfully straddling the entrepreneurial world and uh, the demands of uh, being a corporate CEO. So along the way, what are some of the most important lessons that you learned? You know that would be useful to
1: others. Yeah, I think mean, so. So I take it from a sort of founder slash uh, entrepreneur journey. I I realized sort of. Later on in my life, that at least from an entrepreneur perspective, culture and values are so much more important than you ever thought they will be. You know, in the corporate world, that's most scrutiny there. But I think culture and values, even in a startup and entrepreneurial world, is 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 that realized is so important because the people are obviously with you for the journey of putting bread on their team, right? Creating larger like bank accounts learning growing but I think in this world people also are looking for a purpose and how you make money is perhaps as important as how much money you make and the way to thread how you make money and be from the founders vision that you articulate to you, your your team is really enshrine it in certain words in values sort of describe what things are important and our know, values are enshrined an acronym called for awareness, openness, respect, teamwork, and execution. And then the way you live your values is culture, and you, it all starts from the top. So if you can define what your values are, what culture, how those values get lived, and this is the way we are going to make money, this is the way we are going to serve our customers, this is the way we are going to serve the community. I think not only personally very fulfilling, but it is also a great way to attract People who are very similar or think very similar to you, which makes the whole journey much more easier. And this especially is important, I believe, if you're building a company to go far as opposed to go fast. And if you're if you're building a company to go fast, I'm gonna sell it for whatever, or I'm gonna get to this milestone, it's all about money and growth. Nothing wrong with it, it's great. But if you want to build a company that's going to be here for 25 years, uh, which is a company that goes far, then think hard about what kind of culture, what kind of values you have, and invest in them up front. And that's my learning, deep learning from my entrepreneur journey. On the corporate side, I think the, the most important thing is, is aligning. Um, the whole company along your strategies. One one of the bigger bigger challenges bigger companies. and other aspects of company because an employee. Uh, and now we have about 1500 employees. The thing where what sort of goes a little bit far is how do you take this define the strategy of the company, and then align it with various things that you're doing across functions and across divisions, and make sure all of them are pointing in the same direction and the corporate side that is perhaps execution of the strategy is where i think it's the most important if people most people figure out the strategy but execution is where you fall down some people fall down or can fall down you'll watch out in the entrepreneurial world of course if that's important mix in the values and, and culture especially when the founders are still there uh, because the founder relationship with the company then a hired senior relationship with the company is very different. Um, and, 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 and just because one one is there genetically bound the company, while the other is obviously bound with the company, but in a very different way. Yeah.
0: Now, one million to hundred million dollars, um, what what are the biggest challenges you faced? And uh, now going forward, what do you think are your biggest challenges?
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll take them now and then I'll go, go back stages is zero to one one to ten and ten to hundred the biggest challenge i think in technology is, is really talent mm-hmm. how do you great get great talent attract them retain them nurture them grow them uh and you know make them part or make them completely committed to the journey uh and the purpose uh, that that you're all about i think i think finding that talent in India, in the US, you know, we have you have employees around the world. We have about 900 odd employees in India, 600 outside, uh, about 400 here in the US, 200 around the world, mostly in Europe. Uh, but but how do you find talent around the world uh, that that actually aligns with your culture and values and uh, some sort of technically etc. is it, it's, is a talent. It's very hard. I, th- I think it's one of the hardest things for the tech- for technology companies moving forward, uh, given the dearth of talent and the boom in demand. As you build the company, I think there are lots of things that you have to keep in mind. And, and I think the most difficult thing is when that that we have sort of seen it when you make those critical pivots in your in your startup, and when you let go and when you latch on. I'll give you an example. So the journey between remember i mentioned we got microsoft as a customer in 2011-2012 and we didn't get our first million dollars till 2014-2015 that struggle was hard and many a times we thought should we pivot to something else or should you continue and there are many inputs that go into it. data so faith in your ability to execute your faith in the category in the market there's also Sort of saying, hey, but there's some, something else around the corner, or something else that I can think of. And we did actually look at other things. We looked at, in in those few years, uh, instead of contract management, we looked at transportation as a potential distribution or compliance or specific area. And we explored them. And how do you decide whether you continue down the path you have when you're having difficulty, or you pivot? And when you pivot, how do you commit and keep going? And and the, and, and i we thought very hard and and I must attribute sort of our decision to stay with contract management to a dear friend of mine, Pratip Singh, who was actually my hiring manager at Microsoft, and, and he's still a friend. And through long walks and debates and discussions, so he convinced both Monish and I stay the course in contract management but you know this is a category that is immense that's not taken, there's no multi 1000000000 dollar company, you guys need to have some traction in it and to stay committed to and, and keeping your belief in what you're doing. I think one of the most difficult things in those early years because it just takes time uh, for you to anchor. And then of course, you know, to go from 1 to 10 and 10 to 100, it's all about building the product to scale, making sure the architecture is right, making sure you hire the right Top ten. And we have been very lucky to have uh, folks with us and the senior leadership team who have been with us for years—seven, uh, you know, eight, nine years. Usually, you know, you'd have to change out your senior leadership often. Uh, but but find your senior leaders uh, and and execute and and stay customer focused. That's the other thing. You know, it's it's very easy to get distracted by the competition, especially in the ten to hundred million dollar range. Uh, there are lots of SaaS companies, by the way, that get to about twenty or thirty million dollars, and their growth fizzles out. It's very hard to grow at fifty or hundred percent when you're twenty to thirty million dollar revenue. But remember, every year you're adding a new company to yourself. So if you're a twenty million dollar company, you're growing at a hundred percent. You're adding another new company, and then you're adding another new company of the same size every year. So it is uh, it is very hard, and it's very easy at that time. To change your focus from looking at what competition is doing and how competition is coming at us, then focusing on the customer. And very, very important, pay attention to the competition, but the only direction or the only anchor from where you head or only North Star that you have, where you head with respect to your product and your strategy is what the customers tell, not what the competition is doing. The information, the knowledge that you get from customers, at any time from what you learn from your competition. Watch the competition, but follow the customer.
0: I'm, I'm going to switch gears again a little bit onto your uh, personal front with one question. And then there are loads of uh, interesting questions from the audience. And see if I can get as many of them to you as possible. Uh, in your bio, you talk about being obsessed with uh, golf. <laughs> Tell us about that a little bit, what what got you into the sport, uh, and, and what do you learn from it?
1: <laughs> I played my first round of golf, I think in 1980, mid 80s, when mm. I was in Austin, Texas, when I was at National Instruments, and I took a lesson uh, at the golf course, because uh, I thought it was intriguing, Nothing, I didn't know the game much, you know. I get trained in India, we come from. Middle uh, class world in India, where you know, golf is not something that is played. Against, but I just played it because I thought in corporate America it might be interesting. I never took a lesson after that. All that I've learned about golf is from TV and YouTube. YouTube is a fantastic source by the way for any sport. Um, of course, then you read book books, etc., etc. I actually gave up on golf and didn't play much of it at all till uh, till we founded Isha. So between 2009 and. 2011, 2012, when we got our first customer, honestly, I played more call, when I was thinking a lot than anything else, uh, and that's where I got a, a dear friend of mine, Vijay Varshi, who had a very good call. he's had four or five all at once, got me into it, taught me a lot, and learned from him, really enjoyed, got into it, but very quickly I realized that my body structure and my lack of athletic ability, Will never get to be get to be a great good golfer. I never could crack you know, the best handicap I have is fourteen, uh, and that's not bad. It's not really bad. Uh, but I you know I love golf. One is whenever your ego gets too big, it's a great game to burst your ego. Uh, every time I feel mad, I nail this pitch or nail this drive or nail this putting you know, technique. Golf comes back to you and says, "Yeah, really, alright." Uh, so it really grounds a lot. That's one. And the second is it's a three, four hour game that takes three, four, three or four hours, uh, depending on how, 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 what kind of a walk you take, I guess. Uh, but it's a great three or four hour to be by yourself. Right? I play alone uh, or, or play with a video or, or for friends. But it's a great time to be out there, fresh air, and think. I get a lot of my thinking done on the golf course. So I think those are two things. One is, whenever I feel a little bit like I'm amazing, I go to the golf course and come back and fix. I guess I'm not that amazing. Uh, and whenever there is
0: something that I need to think about, it's a great place to go, fresh air, and think. Excellent. So uh, plenty of interest, uh, as I mentioned, uh, in both your work and in your entrepreneurial uh, lessons and journeys. Uh, here's a question from uh, stain underscore alive. Do you see contracts moving to DeFi? and using blockchain technology to be self-executable. Yes, absolutely. Um, I, I think I think the, the direction this is
1: going to go is, will, our vision in the next 10 years, is there's going to be this network of contracting platforms, ours. Uh, I said intelligence products or platforms uh, around the world that will be able to negotiate with each other, given what the Counterparties have configured the system to be using AI, using ML, where if Party X wants to buy something widget A from from Party Y, the contract management the two contract management systems will be able to negotiate that deal, and it would be at that contract eventually would be executed in the blockchain. I can see at least for uh commodity purchases at least for non-strategic purchases contract, contracting negotiated automatically and executed automatically um, and then for more important things the two contracting system could probably take the contract and sort of isolate the areas where there needs to be a human that needs to negotiate you don't need to negotiate the whole thing two systems sort of figure it out Uh, and then humans get uh, involved and and I think that is where the efficiency in contract is going to come. Then the next efficiency is going to come where the contracting system looks at, as I said, what is memorialized in the contract, connects with the data from the system that deliver uh, the products and services and make sure that you're actually, what's happening in the real world is actually what the intent of the contract is or is there some risk or is there some opportunity? I think that's that's where this technology is going, and that's where this category is so exciting because it is just going to truly transform the foundation of commerce.
0: Okay. Uh, here's the next one. Um, we need four B2B. So at starting up something significant, how do you hire top-notch professionals when bootstrapped? Yeah,
1: I think... So one thing that you should always do, in my mind, is always be hiring. Don't hire when you need somebody. Always be hiring. Meet people. Talk to people. And hire athletes. Hire athletes who today do X and tomorrow can do Y. Four years from now can do Z. And that that, that is the mantra that we have really used well, where you always be hiring. But the second thing is, always hire ahead of what you need. Think about what kind of talent you will
0: need, what kind of leadership you will
1: need a year or two down, and hire those people today. Because I think by the, these people need to understand your technology, you need to understand your product, your culture and values, and they're ready by the time you get to when they can add the value that you need. It's very hard to get attract them because they're probably two years too senior for you. Uh, but but I think if you have the right vision, if you have the right aspiration, if you have the right have something to offer, uh you can really attract talent. I'll give you my my secret. Most people come work for you, you know, come work in a company to make money, but there's no guarantee of making money. Yeah. Startups happen, startups go bust. So they come to make money. The second thing they come to is to learn, right? And as long as you're in a category and learning a technology that is hot that is substantial, that is transformative, people will grow and they get excited about being with you. The thing that people underestimate, managers, leaders underestimate, what people are looking for is fun. Really, I tell you, you can can say whatever you want to people about money and they'll make that decision whether they make or not. People are really looking for growth and learning. But at the end of the day, they want to do all of that while having fun. So make sure you sell fun. And a lot of managers don't sell fun. Shelf fund, shelf growth and then sell the money, not the other way around.
0: Okay, maybe one or two questions more before we wind up. Um, here's a question from Isha Bodas. I think, uh, can you speak about diversity in upper-level management? You are smiling, so I'm thinking maybe Isha is uh, related to you or. Uh, so. <laughs> I
1: just thought you as will ask the question to my daughter. Okay, uh, so. <laughs> and he just graduated from University of Chicago. And- in New York. I think he's very interested about diversity. I
0: should cut it okay, so uh, Isha, Isha has also asked a bunch of other questions. Uh, one of them was also echoed by uh, Kaumud. Uh, so Isha and Kaumud both want to know, uh, along with this, uh, any any advice for young young entrepreneurs? So Maybe you can take the diversity question first and then the young entrepreneurs. Definitely. definitely. So, so, so I
1: think why I have diversity? And I think it's all proven that um, group thing hurts, uh, just from a business perspective, group thing hurts. The life journey that you have, that you bring to the table, is perhaps as important as the intellectual journey that has brought you to the table. Because yeah, somebody who, uh, who is of immigrant in the US, at the table, my view and my approach is very different than somebody from Mississippi or from New York City, or somebody from japan and we may have similar education or may not and the way we think about issues the way we solve problems the way we um, explore things is so different uh, that diversity is so critical and of course that diversity has very many angles that diversity from a gender perspective diversity from an ethnicity perspective diversity from who you are perspective and so go see diversity in upper management, middle management, and lower management, because I think you will be a better company, and it is good for the company. So I, I, I would say, you know, when you're smaller, it is harder a little bit to get diversity because you don't have the network, but as you get larger, seek diversity. In fact, one of the things when I hire, sort of give, uh, uh recruiting firms, uh, uh job description, I say, I will only hire the diverse company. and. They struggle sometimes and it is so easy to say all right that's okay. no, no 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 keep it on a shot give it on a shot and as long as you're willing to wait as long as you're willing to be open as long as you're willing to have that conversation you will get a. I think i think diversity you will get the diversity you want so 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 i think the way to do it is you know be open attract diversity talk about it and then when you recruit make it a point higher diverse candidates So that's on the diversity side. Um, On the the young entrepreneur side, I think the first, you know, you you know, the Zuckerberg story and the Gabe story and the Michael Dell story and a dorm and that and the other. You know, these are very few far in between stories. They're very enamoring, very exciting stories. But the likelihood of success is quite low of coming out of a dorm, starting a company and building a $100 million company. My recommendation is that at least for the first few years, learn the rules, dabble, understand, spend time with entrepreneurs, but work in the company to get your foundations of how does the company work? How does the product get built? How does, how does something get marketed? And as you're building that experience or expertise or learning or of by observation, on the side, dabble with entrepreneurship. There's lots of ways to dabble. You can be an advisor. You can, uh, you can start something small on, on the side. And then, I think the, the first chance that you get uh, to be an entrepreneur, make sure, just so important, so important, make sure you find the right team. Not the team that is around you or your best friend, but the right team, the right co-founder. The right co-founder, make hope. The idea, And I'm so lucky to have Monish as my co-founder, because without him, I don't think we could have been here today. So take your time, learn how business works, dabble in entrepreneurship, look for ideas. When you have found that idea that excites you, make sure you find the right co-founders and the right partner yeah. to embark on your on, on, you know, startup number one. And don't worry if startup number one doesn't work. I've been at five startups or two have gone bust, zero, nothing, nada,
0: gone, two we saw, and now it's I should see where I should It's okay, just learn from it. Right, so, so here's the last question because we're really running out of time. Again from Isha, but also I think on the minds of many people because you're a role model for Indian uh, entrepreneurs, and I guess many people are thinking logically this might be the next milestone. Do you have plans to go public? <laughs>
1: I asked the question Do you remember the Microsoft IPO? Mm, not really. Do you remember really. the Amazon IPO? No. Mm. You know why? Those are just milestones. If you are, that, that are very celebratory and wonderful. But I think focus on building the company, not achieving certain milestones which are sex. These will happen. You will graduate from college. All these milestones in life of first job and first promotion and leadership, all that will happen in a company. Focus on growing the company, focus on building the company, focus on the North Star. And that is what differentiates, I think, companies that go far and companies that go far. Sure, if there's, you know, at the right time, we will go IPO, but let's see when that
0: ends. Okay, excellent. Uh, Really insightful conversation with you uh, today, Samir. Thank you again for making time for this. Have a good weekend ahead. (laughs)
1: My pleasure, thank you so
0: much for having me. Really, really enjoyed the conversation. Sir, uh, that was Sameed Godas, co-founder and CEO of iSelters Inc. Wonderful conversation. Uh, and as a surprise, we had his daughter asking some questions. That's it for this week's uh, Startup Fridays. We'll be back next week uh, with another entrepreneur, uh, one who's addressing a very, very important uh, area where a lot of people uh, need help. And, uh, this is in the area of mental health. That should be a good, good conversation. Until then, uh, wherever you are, I hope you are staying safe and doing well. Do support us wherever you can and that matters to us. A good Friday and a good weekend ahead.